All right, welcome to 2021. Let's do this thing. Man, 2020 was uh, such an amazing year. Uh, I loved every bit of it. Uh, so excited for 2021. I know you are too. My name is Bruce Kendrick. I'm the director of life initiatives here at Watermark. And uh, if you were around back in August or maybe October, I was up here sharing about some different things. And uh, I, I likely introduced my family to you. And so I normally don't start with this, but I've got nine kids. Okay. I've also got three grandkids and I'm not quite 40 yet. So uh, you don't normally start with that kind of introduction whenever you're meeting new people, because it just gets weird and awkward. Like people then automatically move into the categories of large families. So it's like, oh, so you got a Mormon background? <laughs> no, but I do drive a 12 passenger van, so you got me there. Um, I'm like, oh, Catholic then, Catholic. And no, not Catholic either. And then the last category is always like, I bet you homeschool, don't you? I bet you homeschool. No, no, we don't homeschool. None of our children are named after minor prophets. So we don't have any of that going on. My homeschool friends, you know, you know. Hey, we love you. We know you're right. Um, and so that's why we make fun. Nonetheless, um, I'm excited to be here, excited to be kicking off the Reset Series as we talk about uh, just our relationship with God this morning. And as we look forward to uh, our priorities and as we're looking at New Year's resolutions, I realize some of us are overachievers and have already broken some of those New Year's resolutions. Like we're three days in and you're like, got it, nailed it. Um, why wait a month? Just break it now. Um, but this time of year really is my favorite. It's, it's like the extended celebration of the holidays. It's like that little buzz that's kind of left, off, uh, left over after Christmas and New Year's. And there are two types of people that come up in this particular phase of the holidays that kind of last like the dwindling celebration of the holidays. And the first type of person is that person who uh, you got the gift from mom, dad, family, friends, whoever it was, and you opened it with just a little smile on your face and you're so thankful that somebody was thoughtful enough to get you a gift and, and you open it up and no matter what it was, you were like, oh, thank you so much. This is so, so nice. And you intend to wear that thing at least one time in front of that family or friend just to show that you appreciate it and then you're never gonna wear it again. Or you just grab that, oh, it's so nice, thank you. And then you put it into that cycle of re-gift that uh, you've got going in your closet or whatever. We'll see that thing again in like 10 or 11 months, whenever it comes up again and you've got Dirty Santa or White Elephant, Christmas gift exchange, whatever you do. Um, and so you've got those kinds of people. And honestly, aren't we all that person on the surface? Like nobody likes to think of themselves or go public about the second type of person, but this is honestly who I am. Um, and I think many of us is we got that gift and we were appreciative. We thought it was so nice that somebody was thoughtful enough to get us a gift. However, we were wondering why maybe they didn't look at our Amazon wish list or the wish list they asked us to give them that they were supposed to reference before they gave us said gift. And as soon as we open that thing, we go, oh, that, that is so nice. I really do appreciate that. And then uh, the party ended and they left and we went, I cannot wait until the first week of, Jul of January comes around where I can go exchange that thing for something that I actually wanted. Now, does that make me a bad person? Yes, yes it does. Uh, and I'm fine confessing that to you, right? Uh, 
But here's the reason why I start with that, is because 2020 was an absolute gift to every single one of us in this room. And there are those of us who just go, I don't know what you're talking about. Because at numerous times throughout 2020, I wanted to get in that exchange line and swap that thing out for something that suited my comforts or my styles or my taste or my fashion. And yet 2020 was God with a giant blinking neon sign going, stop going in the way that you are going. A stronger economy is not the answer. A political party, a politician, a government, a stimulus check is not what you need. Even your own comfort and health and security is not what is ultimately going to bring you satisfaction. And I found myself like in March going, oh, like, what are you doing? <laughs> I feel like this is a bit of a curveball here. And found myself just honestly saying, uh, like, God, I, I want to love you more. I just, I've got all these other things that are really important. Because my love for you, you know, it doesn't always pay the bills. My, my love for you, my worship of you, I, I don't feel like it always fills in the gaps and puts food on the table. And so I, I really need you to do kind of this worship thing off to the side, if we could just like set that to the side. Because I, I just realized I, I don't love God as much as I think I do or as much as I want to. And if you missed that 2020 was a gift to you, Man, I do not want you to miss it in 2021 because what's at stake is we are exchanging God for something or anything less than God. And so many of us are going to chase after a vaccine or we're going to lose weight or we're going to try and downsize our lives or we're going to try and find that pandemic-proof job so that we don't ever have to experience that insecurity again. We might still prioritize praying more or reading our Bibles more. And those are all good things, right? It's like none of that stuff I just listed off is a bad thing. But if we find ourselves once again in the exchange line at the end of the year because we didn't reorient our lives and our hearts around the majesty and glory of God, we'll, I mean, we'll have missed the best gift that God could have given us to increase our love and trust for him. And so I, I want to spend our time this morning, uh, we're going to, these next several weeks as we go through the Reset series, we're going to talk about some really tangible principles and applications and things like that that are all really, really good. Um, but if that's all we do, I, like I don't want you to just walk out this morning with like some new perspective. I, I want to help us reset our hearts on our relationship with God. And be reminded of the sufficiency, the sovereignty, and the supremacy of God. Of his work in our lives. Of his existence, of his creation. And so we're going to be in Romans. If you've got your Bible with you, go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 11. Paul's writing this letter to a group of about 50,000 Jews and believing Gentiles there in Rome. 
likely from the city of Corinth. They were moving along trade routes and he was meeting people and sharing the gospel with them. And then they'd go back to Rome and they'd share about what Paul had taught in the gospel. And and he's encouraging them. But in, in chapters one through 11 of Romans, if you're not familiar with it, he's just unpacking what God has done, why he has done it, and what has happened as a result. And uh, in chapters 12 and 16, he, he provides a lot of a really solid application. But right at the end of chapter 11, Paul just pauses. And the joy of knowing God spills out onto the page and he reminds his readers about the majesty of God. And this morning we get to reflect on what more of God we want. And so read with me, Romans 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And Paul's going to show us just three attributes, three aspects of who God is. And then he's going to ask three questions. And just, I want to spend our time together unpacking some of those and just again, reflecting on what more of God you and I want, what more of God you and I need as we consider the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so the first one is we need more of the riches of God because we have a wealth of possessions, but a deficit of values. We have a wealth of possessions, but a deficit of values. You see, the depth of God's riches are this inexhaustible treasury with no spending limit. I was having lunch with a friend a while back and uh, he's been really successful in business. And so we were just exchanging kind of what's going on in our lives and staying up to date. And and I was sharing a little bit about ministry stuff. And uh, he's just such an incredible friend that uh, he bears with me through some of that as I'm just going, man, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what's going on. And then he started to talk about business stuff, which has always been something that's really interested me as uh, he deals in developments and real estate and all these different ventures. And uh, he just started talking about these different opportunities. I was like, oh, are you going to chase that one? Are you going to pursue that? Are you going to pursue that? And he was like, no, man, I, I, don't, I don't just chase every opportunity to turn a profit anymore because I've been successful in business. I, don't know, I no longer deal in the currency of money. I deal in the currency of time. And I was like, the current dealing in the currency of time? I mean, what is that? And I started to realize that, that we deal in different currencies. Like when you're younger, right? You don't really understand money or even time as much, but you you definitely understand popularity, right? And so as humans, we often deal in that currency of like, who has the most friends? Who's the most popular kid in school? And as you grow up and you kind of transition into college or you start driving, you realize that things cost money, right? And all of a sudden it gets very real. And you're no longer being funded by mom and dad. And so student loans start to pile up, but you get through college or however you kind of move forward in that direction. And then 
You, you might start a family, you get your first job, you're still dealing with currency of money, but eventually you start to deal in that currency of time. As you get older, you realize that all that relationships and popularity and whatnot, no matter how many Facebook or Instagram followers you have or whatever social media platform you're on, um, brings you some kind of satisfaction. You realize like, okay, we're gonna need some money. But then you get to that point in life where you look back and you go like, like man, all of that was nothing compared to the fact that like time's counting down. And I wanna invest my life in what is the most important things that God has given me. These are all human currencies that we deal in and yet God doesn't really deal in any of them. God, God deals in the currency of glory that cannot be added to or taken away from. And so when I say we have a deficit of values, I'm not talking about like, hey, we just need to be better people. We just need to be more honest with one another. We just need to be more transparent and be kind and nice. I'm not talking about moral therapeutic deism where God's just like, hey, you need to be better behaved. What I'm saying is, is that when we talk about values, we don't understand what to value. 2020's proof of that is we chase every possible thing that might help us bring our world back into order. And God just stepped back and went, hey, I'm still in control. It's okay. I'm still dealing in the currency of glory because I'm sovereign, because I'm sufficient, because I'm eternal. I mean, just look at how God has designed and built heaven. The streets are made of gold. <laughs> the street, like what we use concrete for, God goes, ah, I mean, I don't, I've got gold. And so God doesn't chase after all of this monetary value. He goes, look, glory is what I have. Yes, of course, I have riches beyond compare. He says in Psalm 50, through the psalm, he says, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. God goes, I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Look, if you can imagine God's riches, his inexhaustible resource, you haven't quite gotten there yet. And so for us, as we think about a cattle on a thousand hills, it's, it's like, ah, it doesn't really compute. Like for the Israelites, it would have made a lot of sense. Or if you were raised on a farm, that would make a lot of sense because you're like, man, I mean, my life revolves around livestock and crops and the harvest time. But if you grew up in the burbs, you're like, I mean, I can just drive down to like Tom Thumb and get a steak of my choosing. They've got like a whole meat department down there. They're little meat diapers that soak up all the juice. It's, I don't get the Thousand Hills cattle thing. And so if I could just translate this, look, the vault in the bank of God is measured in light years. God's data servers don't have gigabytes or terabytes. They have yodabytes. 
Like I had to look that up because I was like, okay, I need, I know what gigabytes are. I know what terabytes are. I need something I don't have any comprehension for. And so I was like, what is the largest amount of storage we have a name for? And it's the Yoda byte. It's 1 trillion terabytes. And when you look at the definition, it says there is no need for a unit of measurement larger than a Yoda byte because there is simply no practical use for such a large measurement. Even all the data that we have in the world is just a few zettabytes. And I was like, okay, now we're nerding out because I don't know what zettabytes are either. But Paul asked the question, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Because so often we approach God in a way that says, God, what can I give you? What can I give you? We treat God like this vending machine where it's like, hey, look, I put my money in and I said my prayer and you're supposed to spit out the stuff that I want. Only if we follow that illustration in regards to how God actually works, it's more like that time, maybe as you were a kid and you walked up and you kind of thought you were gonna put your money in, but you peered down and what you wanted to drink was already there. And you're Like you thought you were stealing candy from a baby or something, but you didn't realize that God doesn't approach you like a creditor. He didn't say, hey, it's time for you to pay up. He says, no, your debt's already paid. Your debt's already paid. And guess what? You can keep coming back because I have inexhaustible resources. I wanna lavish them on you that you might experience goodness and righteousness. And we need more of the riches of God because we have a wealth of possessions but a deficit of values. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. The second thing that Paul brings to mind is not that we just are impoverished and need more of the riches of God. He says we need more the wisdom of God, because we are drowning in information and misinformation. But we are starving for discernment. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh God, don't be so judgmental. You can't judge me. And look, I, I don't want to encourage us towards condemning people, but I do want to encourage us towards discernment. Because when I hear somebody say, don't be so judgmental, what I hear them say is, look, don't try and notice or pick out the fact that I can't tell right from wrong. Look, when God instilled the Holy Spirit in you, he gave you a gift that you might be discerning in this world. Not the morality police necessarily, but somebody who could go, hey, that's not going to go well for you. Can I, before you jump off that cliff or run off that bridge or follow this or that like some lemming that's just doing whatever the crowd's doing or echoing whatever the crowd's echoing, 
can I just stand firm in truth real quick and just kindly and gently remind you of what is real? Man, because we've gotten carried away in our circumstances. And several years ago, I was uh, in this spot, both personally, professionally, and spiritually. Uh, my family was falling apart. And it, it really started with, with me losing sight of the trustworthiness of God's scripture. And I started to kind of peel back and, and go, well, I, like I believe some of these things, but this thing's hard to believe. And in this small season of my life, in the midst of what, what felt like theological gymnastics, where you start to just do backflips to try and explain things for God, have you ever been there where it's like, well, God, let me explain something to you. I've got these doubts and these questions justify my doubts. And therefore you are no longer, I mean, like this penultimate God, you really kind of just, uh, I mean, you're still up there. And so in my arrogance, I started to just criticize and complain. And then all of a sudden God went, hey, we're going to peel the facade off your faith. Oh, and my son decided to move out abruptly. And a few months later, we found out we were going to be grandparents for the first time in our early 30s. They don't, they don't put that on the brochures when you go in to foster or adopt. And simultaneously, um, a sibling of our youngest three adopted kids needed a place to stay. And so we added one more to the house. And my wife was pregnant with our ninth child. And we were caring for a child from uh, an adoptive family where they had stepped forward and said, hey, we want to give of our family. We want to adopt this child. We want to care for them. And then not weighed either the managed sin in their own hearts and lives or the, the trauma and the neglect and abuse and the impact of that neglect and abuse that that child had experienced and the family's just falling apart. They went, hey, we need some place that our child can go and be safe and be cared for. And we went, hey, we can do that. We, we've got space. And then professionally, we had this small startup nonprofit and had five staff. And in the span of this one little time, three of our staff members had to step back from their roles, whether it was due to their own personal health or their family or whatever it might be. And I'm just looking across the desk at my wife going, I do not understand what is happening right now. And it all came to a head one day as I was sitting in my bedroom and my wife just with tears in her eyes just looked at me and was like, what do we do with this? And in this fantastic, awful experience of abandoning God's word, I just went, look, honey, I've got two things for you. I know that there is a God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and resurrected but that's all I got. <laughs> that's all I got. 
Man, it is still palpable to me today. And she looked at me and just went, okay. For today, that's enough. For today, that's enough. You see, in the complexity of our own lives and our own worlds, God holds all these tensions together. And he doesn't freak out. He's not wrestling with them. It's like, not like God just goes, oh, this really got out of hand. I did not see this coming. As Paul asked the question, who has been his counselor? When has God ever knocked on your door and been like, so uh, there's a virus and didn't see that, right? But God in his infinite wisdom holds all things together. And so I, I brought this Rubik's cube because I, I've never really been able to figure this thing out. We got it for my kids because my kids are smarter than I am and I figured they'd be able to work it out. But um, every time that I pick one of these up, I can always get like two or three colors on the same side. But as soon as I try and move other colors over and it moves those colors back, I can never quite keep it all working at the same time. And this is infinitesimally less complicated than eternity and the existence and the creation that God holds together. And yet at no time does he ever freak out. When we think about things like free will and election, Right? It's like, okay, we've got choices, we make choices, but then God steps in and, and he elects and he redeems and he restores. And God like, maintains justice and mercy and not like this little childish social justice thing that we're toying around with right now, like actual justice. Not like the, hey, we want everybody to feel like they're equal, actual equality. In a kingdom economy that actually works, that isn't surrounded by this pecking order, and yet at the same time that he maintains this justice, he maintains mercy. And, and love and truth and real relationships with personalities, right, that get moody and that get upset and complain, like God maintains all these things. We're not just robots with the illusion of a personality or the illusion of a choice. And then this like million dollar theological phrase and idea that's known as the hypostatic union where Jesus Christ is like the 200% being, fully man and fully God. Fully man in that he lived on this earth. He sweat, he cried, he bled. He experienced all the intricacies of what it's like to be human, to be limited. And at the same time, fully God, that when he laid himself on the cross and stretched out his arms and took the weight of our sin and the punishment of our sin, Simultaneously, 
He is holding together every cell in the lungs of the Roman soldier to help him breathe. And every muscle and every tendon and every ligament and even the fingernails on that man's arm as he held the nail and the hammer and struck it into our Savior's arms. Fully God and fully man. God in his infinite wisdom. It is remarkable. And I want more of it. In Proverbs 8, God just says, "Does, does wisdom not call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Look, God's not playing spiritual hide-and-go-seek with you. He's not trying to be vague. He's not trying to be far off. He's not going to stand in the presence and enable your sin. But God in his holiness and righteousness says, hey, I've got an inexhaustible amount of riches and wisdom that I want to pour out on you that you would experience the depths of a relationship with me. And so many times I find myself just going, hey God, if you would just give me the surface level stuff so that I can just kind of continue to do my thing, if I could just pay my bills. Wisdom brings life and justice and righteousness. And we need more of the wisdom of God because we are drowning in information and misinformation. We are starving for discernment. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. To him be glory forever. Paul's going to wrap us up with this third one. He just says, we need more of the knowledge of God because we think we know so much that just isn't so. We think we know so much that just isn't so. Every year we take a trip with the Life Initiatives team to D.C. in January around the March for Life, which is like this big march of roughly a million people that show up in D.C. right there around the Washington Monument. We march up Constitutional Avenue to the Supreme Court, basically in opposition of Roe v. Wade and the law of abortion in our land. And um, it is this incredible, cool deal where we get to go visit with legislators and the senators and representatives there in D.C. And, and talk to them about the work that our church, that you are doing in caring for vulnerable women and men with unexpected pregnancies and past abortions and engaging and being light in this community. And it's such an incredible encouragement. And while we're there, we often get to kind of sightsee. And I've been to D.C. a number of times. I've done like the whole tour of the White House thing. I may have taken something. Um, And I'd never been to the Library of Congress because I always thought like, I mean, it's a library. So why would I want to go there? I'm not here to read books. Um, But 
the team was like, hey, let's go to the Library of Congress. I'm like, great, I've never been there before. I've kind of done everything else here. Let's go check that out. So we go in and I immediately realize I do not belong in this building. Um, that you should have scored like well over a certain average or whatever on your SAT to be allowed in this building. Because the Library of Congress, its contents are not just like collections of things of like, who cares, Congress law, legislative, whatever. Its collections are universal. It's not limited by subject or format. It's not limited by national boundary. It includes research materials from all parts of the world for the past centuries in over 450 languages. And when I walked in and I saw Latin, I was like, I mean, I kind of know what Latin looks like. I can't read it or understand it, but I know it's a dead language. And if you're telling me this library has things in it that are written in dead languages that people are no longer using really, then I don't belong here. And no matter how much I tried to sort of exude my best Nicolas Cage impression as I was like, Am I going to steal the Declaration of Independence while I'm in here? This is going to be awesome. We got into that next building that has all the books in it that looks like a legit like, library on steroids. And I just went, nope, nope, too many, too many words, too much, too much information. And just slowly backed out. And everybody kind of looked at me like, where's he going? I was like, nope, can't do this. Look, if that's what we have for a Library of Congress, when we think of the knowledge of God, his library must go on for eternity and not just eternity past, but eternity future as well, that he holds it in his hands. And yet we, in our arrogance, as we look at the existence of God and what has become like a fairly cliche saying of like, look, God is all knowing and all powerful and all present, that we then stand back and we're like, okay, well, why is God invisible? Why is God inaudible? Why is God immaterial? Why doesn't God, I don't know if you've ever had this thought before. It happens to me a lot when I'm like running at night. Uh, why doesn't God just like pause the world for a second, peel back the cosmos, peek his head in and just like, hey, just want to let you know I'm still here. You're looking good. Keep running and drop that thing back in. Like, why doesn't he do that? Wouldn't that make a whole lot of sense? And yet God, in his depth of knowledge, in his depth of wisdom, in his depth of riches, goes, look, hey, I, I'm not submitting myself to your scientific method. There are good reasons to trust that I exist. There are a lot of bad reasons to believe I don't. But I'm not going to put myself under your microscope. I'm not going to let you throw me in a beaker. Can you imagine? God doesn't rush to quell all of our doubts and demands for explanation. And so I, I like to um, try and just spur on spiritual conversations with my kids. Like anytime I'm taking them to school in the morning, I don't like my kids to ride the bus in the morning because I want them to like get their start with a great conversation with dad, just praying over them as I drop them off and just encouraging them to continue. Like, hey, what'd you read in your Bible last night? And so we have these little conversations. Most recently, I was having this conversation with my daughter and I just said, hey, I was talking about the, the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present 
existence of God. And, um, you know, just in her preteenness, she, she looked back at me and was just like, hey, God, or dad, if uh, God is so all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present, why do bad things happen? And because God's not like a Jesus juke God, he doesn't like slip your like, legs out from under you, or he's like, hey, sit in this chair, and then pull it out from under you as you're sitting down. Does anybody ever feel like God's like that? I always have this like, hey, anytime I come up on this stage and I I share, I feel like God's going to do something where he just, and God goes, no, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm, I'm kind and I'm gentle. I'm loving. I'm wise. I'm trustworthy. And so because God is all those things, he took what my response was about to be and just went, hey, let me drop this question into you. And so just gently and lovingly to my daughter, I, I, I said, hey, I, can, I, can I help us ask what I think might be a better question? If, if we are so rebellious, sinful, and poor, why do good things happen? And why do, why do we get anything good? Why don't we get all of the bad that we deserve? Why is mercy a thing? Why is grace a thing? And so in the story of Job, um, we see this man who has everything. And the better part of a day, it's all taken away from him. All of his possessions, he's like the wealthiest guy in his community. He is revered. He is popular. He, I mean, he is doing everything right. And in the, the better part of a day, all of his stuff is taken away. And his wife looks at him at the end of the day and is just like, you should just curse God and die. He obviously has it out for you. And you may be sitting here today just going, yeah, I felt like God had it out for me in 2020. I mean, I I like this whole reset idea, but my circumstances haven't changed. I woke up on January 1st. There they were. And so Job, as he sits down with his friends and as they mourn and grieve together, and then Job begins to try and make sense of it all, is he, he starts adding words, and, and at one point, he tells his friends who are adding advice, he goes, if only you would be altogether silent, for you that would be wisdom, which is a great comeback if you want to use that sometime. Um, nonetheless, he continues, and in chapter 38, he stops, and God, out of a storm, comes and speaks to Job and says this, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Man, I love it when God flexes. I love it when God bows up because it is so freaking scary. It is like, whoo! He's got to do something. <laughs> Absolutely love it. It's like when God sent David against Goliath and he goes, yeah, use that little sling and those stones. You know, the little ones. And then as the giant is laying there all dizzy and just like he just got knocked out in a UFC fight, he takes the dude's sword and cuts off his head and then holds it up in victory and he says, Bring it, Philistines. This is the God 
that we serve. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy. And Paul just echoes the same exact question. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? And we need more of the knowledge of God because we know so much that just isn't so. And it's not that God's not big enough for our doubts. Look, it's appropriate for us to reset. It's appropriate for us to have New Year's resolutions, um, to want to pray and read our Bibles more, to lose weight and downsize our lifestyles and all the different things that we want more or less of. But listen, if we end up with just a little more or a little less of all these things, but we haven't got more of God, we will find ourselves at the end of the year in the same exchange line with our unwanted, unfulfilling gifts, and we'll have missed God is reaching through space and time to reveal himself, to redeem us, and to restore us. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And so I I want you to walk out of here with just a couple of things. First is don't exchange God for not God. Don't exchange what is infinitely valuable for anything less. Secondly, pursue whatever stirs your affections and builds your trust in him. Because back in March, man, I thought, okay, we're, we're going to pivot here and we're going to have a new normal, which if I ever hear those words again, um, And I thought, we're going to read our Bibles more. And we read our Bibles more. And July came around and I went, and we we don't love God more. We're just, we're reading our Bibles more and that's a good thing. But God, I, I need you to stir my affections for you. And that's not to say that you need to go abandon the church, abandon God's people and basically go, you know what stirs my affections for God is sleeping in. I mean, I... I like it. That is foolish and selfish. You might go find yourself on a mountaintop and ski and enjoy God's nature and worship him there and then realize you were not meant to stay on the mountaintop and just worship nature. You're meant to be in the trenches with the creation of God that's often stuck in sinfulness and go, hey, let me pull you out and show you that there is more, that there is hope. Let me show you the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God because no matter how much more of God I want to love, and the sweetest truth is that God loves me. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
And this morning I've been talking to the family. And if you're here and you're kind of like, ah, like I'm, I was just checking this out. As part of my New Year's resolutions, I was going to jump back into church. And if you've not heard the majesty and the glory of who our God is, and all of a sudden your affections and your understanding of what is available and the fact that God not only says, yes, pray to me, but I want to talk to you. I want to spend time with you. I want to lavish my riches and wisdom and knowledge on you that you wouldn't continue to get spin up by pandemics. He has prepared a seat at the table for you that you might come and enjoy the feast. That you might hear the truth of his gospel and go, hey, this isn't about what you bring to the table. I've set a place for you. Come and eat without money and without cost. I have paid all of your debts. And here after the service, we're gonna have some friends up front. If you have never heard this stuff before, I wanna invite you down to come have a conversation with us. If a friend brought you, I wanna encourage you to grab lunch together and let's just, and let's wrestle. But our God is good and trustworthy. We get to experience the depths of his riches and wisdom and knowledge for from him and through him and for him are all things. Let's pray. God, thank you for my friends and uh, thank you for 2020. I realize I say that and yet there are people who lost jobs and lost loved ones and uh, that reality is not lost on me. Um, of the time I got to spend at funerals in 2020, the reality is definitely not lost on me. And yet, God, I'm so grateful that you would help me stop chasing after the things that I, I think have value and that you would help me declutter my schedule, declutter my life, that I would focus in on you. And so God, help us reset our hearts. Help us reset our minds on what is infinitely glorious, the riches and wisdom, and knowledge of God. God, you're good. And so I pray for my friends as, um, as we land the plane this morning, as we wrap up. Uh, God, that as we walk out of here, uh, our awe of you would be renewed, not out of anything that I've said, but just out of the truth of your word, that we be reminded of how glorious and majestic as we pray in the able, wonderful, righteous, holy name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords in this year of our Savior, 2021. Amen.